welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 254. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing the seventh Star Trek feature film, Star Trek Generations. Here we go. Star Trek Generations, release date November 18th, 1994. Directed by David Carson, produced by Rick Berman, screenplay by Ronald D. Moore and Brandon Braga, story by Rick Berman, Ronald D. Moore and Brandon Braga. Cast includes Patrick Stewart as Captain Jean-Luc Picard, Jonathan Frakes as Commander William T. Riker, Brent Spiner as Data, LeVar Burton as Geordie LaForge, Michael Dorn as Worf, Gates McFadden as Beverly Crusher, Marina Sirtis as Deanna Troy, Malcolm McDowell as Tolian Soren, William Shatner as Captain James T. Kirk, James Doohan as Montgomery Scott, Walter Koenig as Pavel Chekhov, and Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan. In 2293, retired Starfleet officers James T. Kirk, Montgomery Scott, and Pavel Chekhov attend the maiden voyage of USS Enterprise B. During the shakedown cruise, the Enterprise is pressed into a rescue mission to save two Elorian refugee ships that have been snarred by a massive unknown energy ribbon. The Enterprise crew is able to save some of the refugees before the ships are destroyed, but itself becomes trapped by the ribbon. Kirk goes to engineering to help the Enterprise escape and is presumed dead after the tailing end of the ribbon hits the ship's hull where he was working. Fast forward, 2371, the crew of the USS Enterprise-D is celebrating the promotion of shipmate warp to lieutenant commander on the holodeck when Captain Jean-Luc Picard learns his brother and nephew have been killed in a fire. I'm going to miss this ship. She went before her time. Someone once told me that time was a predator that stalked us all our lives. And I rather believe that time is a companion who goes with us on the journey, reminds us to cherish every moment, because it'll never come again. Star Trek Generations. You know, I gotta say, <laughs> my favorite thing about this movie is just the feeling uh, of that memory of Star Trek at its biggest and most culturally relevant. That time period, we've talked about it on our podcast before, but just that time period, you know, 1994, you had Next Gen Ending, you had DS9 uh, in progress, you had Voyager, you know, in prep about to shoot. You had this next gen feature. There was there was so so much going on. They were on the cover of Time magazine that year, for God's sake, you know? I mean it was just such a it was just in the zeitgeist in a way that it kinda never certainly never had been before. And I'm not sure it'll ever be quite that big again. I guess JJ's first movie was was pretty big, but I don't know, it just felt like Star Trek was everywhere at that time. Yeah, I kind of agree. Yeah, I would agree. Definitely. Um, nineties um, was, um, nineties <laughs> was definitely Star Trek. I mean, you know, like you said, I mean, well, we, well, we did, um, what Star Trek six, that was 91, right. Um, then, you know, you had next gen and that ended in 94. You had this and Voyager and deep space nine. Um, it was definitely, um, the time to be a Star Trek fan was in the 1990s. Well, Steve, Steve, wasn't this around the time that you went to, one of the big uh, Grand Slam mm-hmm. Pasadena yeah. shows. Yeah, so I went in 95, but like spring of 95, so or whatever, spring, summer, that, that time period, 95. And so I knew by this time I was going. So I, I agree. When I, when I, that's what I felt, I feel most when I see this is I was thinking of how big everything was. And, and on a personal level, I remember, you know, I, I, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but I really was a next gen fan before I was a fan of, the whole thing you know it started with even though i caught some original series reruns uh when my dad was interested into it when i was quite young um following next gen as it went through was was the big start for me and and by the time this when this movie air, came out um i still wasn't really well yeah of course i followed everything else after it really closely too but i really wasn't caught up totally with the original series i, I doubt i'd seen every original series episode by this time you know i'd probably seen most of them or a lot of them but i wasn't as kind of the the whole franchise the whole thing i wasn't into it as much as i was next gen by this time so it was it was really the most exciting release by, at this point for me in terms of a movie i mean i saw this multiple times in theaters uh, in the theater, I, um, this and first contact, I know I've seen more than others because I saw them so much initially, you know, in that way, it kind of, it's it hard. I have trouble being objective about this one. 
I think, more than some of the others. Because while I recognize now a lot of the problems with it, I, I don't... I don't know. It, it's it's also colored by the stuff we're talking about. You know how I was. You know, like you said, the the fran- the whole franchise was at its peak. Everything it really mattered. It was so relevant. I was getting ready to go to this big convention in a few months. I saw this movie multiple times. It was the first time my next gen, my beloved next gen cast was on the big screen. It was such a big deal, you know. And uh, that's that's what I associate this with, really. Yeah, and Steve, back then it wasn't even that easy to see. It wasn't like today where you could just get the series wherever you wanted. I mean, back I don't think I watched the original series from start to finish until like 1998. And that's when I was working. I was doing overnights at a NBC and they had all the original series on like on these old three quarter inch tapes. And that's what the first time I watched it oh, from start yeah. to finish. And that was like 98. And it wasn't because, yeah, I mean, it wasn't easy to. Yeah. That was probably around the same time I know I caught all of them by that time. And I think the primary reason was maybe because the sci-fi channel was was showing them in some kind of special edition in the very late 90s. And again, I'd seen a lot of them, but I don't think I'd seen every single one of them. By the, by the time they finished their run in the late 90s, yeah, I, I, I saw that. But yeah, so it was mostly about Next Gen still for me, even though I definitely was aware and knew m- much about and had seen all the other prior movies. But um so yeah, it's it's really special in that way, you know. And so I, I mean, I know it front front to back, even though it's been a very long time since I've seen it up until when I watched it in this last week. It, you know, it was quite something. It's remarkable how easily and effectively it makes the jump to the big screen because, you know, the original series they had that ten year gap. Mm-hmm. Everybody's older, you know. You you got this, you know, one of the biggest directors of all time, Bob Wise, to direct it. But here you've got. David Carson, just one of the episode directors. A lot of the people on this show on this show were were on the TV show. I don't know Dennis McCarthy doing the music. You know, obviously these actors, but they went. I think if I recall correctly, they had like two or th- two or three weeks off between all good things and and generations. You know, shooting. It's crazy, by the way, that they were shooting this in this in the spring, and then the movie comes out in November. <laughs> I mean, you can't. Nobody does that now. Nobody. Nobody. That's just nuts but it, i mean all they really did was they changed the bridge a little bit they made it look a little bit more like you know i mean it's darker it's a little bit like yesterday's enterprise kind of look i, I think it's great i think it looks amazing um actually that's one of the the, the thing i'm most conscious of from see, the first time seeing this movie in the theaters was being blown away by the color and i didn't realize i mean i was too young then i didn't understand the limitations of Rex 709, or I mean, not just Rex 709, but like, <laughs> you know, late 80s, early 90s, NTSC, Rex 709 TV color. I didn't understand those limitations and I didn't understand what more you would get out of film and stuff. I didn't, I didn't know that. So I just remember being in the theater and just being blown away by the colors. Like, this is what, <laughs> this is what next gen looked like, <laughs> you know, what? Uh, uh, side note, I, I I have to say, I'd really love to see this like P3 color, you know, 4K <laughs> HDR. I'd love that. It does have, it does look just as bad as all the other Paramount Star Trek library titles. Just the, immediately, the very opening, the text, uh, it's got that like 1999 yep. DNR all over it. It looks yeah. so scrubbed all to hell. I, 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 I loathe the way this transfer looks. Paramount, please give us a new transfer. But not just anything. I would love, I want to be greedy on this movie because the colors are so gorgeous. I want to, I don't just want a new transfer. I want, <laughs> I want, I want P3 color in, you know, 4K HDR. Anyway, seeing them on the big screen and, you know, scope aspect ratio. I, I, I'm shocked at how well it translates. You know, it really does. I think that th- we'll get into it, obviously, but the stuff that holds it back, it's nothing like that. You know, I think it's mostly script stuff and story stuff, maybe that that's going to hurt this this movie. But in all those, in all of the ways that are most difficult to make the jump from the small screen to the large screen, uh, I think it's entirely successful. Yeah, Brian, I, I really enjoy how they lit it because they used the star as the as the main light. You know, you got the oh, light yeah, coming really through the cool. window. Oh, yeah, it's really cool when they're in the Picard's ready room. room and stuff. Yeah, yeah, 10 forward. It was really cool. I couldn't, you know, I don't think they ever did that to that degree on the show. And so it really kind of gave it really kind of gave it more of a 
intimate, um, you know, in-depth feel um, on the screen. I, I really enjoyed how they lit this, and I would totally agree. I mean, yeah, this this the the film looks great. I mean, yeah, and I'm with you on this one. Um, we need a better copy because yeah, I I watched it on Amazon. You could the bottle floating it, it just looked blurry. It wasn't good. There's really nothing else like it. I mean, real in certainly in in Trek in terms of you know, from TV to film, because, you know, it was instantaneous. So they changed some stuff around, but, but it's all relatively subtle. And so it's like the same thing just translated to the big screen, you know, for, you know, lighting and the, and the ratio and all this kind of stuff. So, and there's, there's nothing else like it. And there's no, not like any of the other had that, had that time where you say, now let's see the same scene, the same set, and they just like doctor it up. So it works on, you know, and that kind of thing. This is, this is the only time. So it's really, it's really weird that that way well and another thing we have now that we didn't have when you know in 1994 we actually have modern like hd transfers of uh next gen episodes yeah so we can more directly compare and it's not just you know seeing it on 35 scope and stuff it's also they, they really did go out of their way to to bump up up the colors and i guess some of that you can do He's talking about the lighting, you know, that uh, obviously they spend way more time lighting a feature than they do a, a TV show. But yeah, I just there's this movie is so pretty to me. I could just watch this thing with the sound down if we got a better transfer. <laughs> and this is a little off topic, but 1994 was a really good year for movies, too. I remember there were a lot of fun movies that year. Mm, Stargate, if you're talking about sci-fi movies. Yeah. I, I like so I like the opening, uh, the stuff on the B. It just feels good to be in that time period, I think. Some of the stuff is doesn't quite hold up. The news guys with their little headsets and, and the lights and so it's kind of oh, yeah. that's kind of dumb. I, I don't I don't I don't know that it made a lot of sense then, but it makes less now. But there's a lot of fun. Like uh, the the bridge cast is fun. Uh, I can't remember his name. You get the Ferris Bueller guy, <laughs> Captain Harriman. You get the James Cameron actress uh, from Aliens and Terminator Two and. What else? Titanic. I forget her name, but she's she's down there. Tim Russ, Glenn Morshower, just like oh, <laughs> all these people. That just obviously, the casting person on this movie was just a, a movie fan. It's kind of like uh, Malcolm McDowell. I, I I was conscious every time he would pull out his his pocket watch. I thought, okay, somebody's somebody's a fan of Time After Time. <laughs> Which, you know, sure, my Nick Meyer makes sense, but I, I'm with you. I was with you on the media stuff. It doesn't translate well in today's. It doesn't, you know, because they have the bright lights on, you know, you would think they'd be a little bit more advanced. But I guess I kind of I kind of like it in a way, because rarely do you kind of get to see outside of, you know, Starfleet kind of what goes on beyond you know in the rest of the world so that was kind of something a little bit different seeing like the media there and you know the fanfare that's you know so you think about at the time period you know kirk's got to be literally like a household name you know he saved the world several times by this point so yeah it it was interesting to see but it's like i agree with you it doesn't translate well it kind of feel for picard you know he gets this there on the the first time we see him on the enterprise sailing vessel and he gets that message and it's like Kai just can't catch a break. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. It, 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 that's the one thing. The whole Robert and Renee burning to death in the fire. I'm, I, I've never been convinced that it was necessary. It feels a little bit like just trying to give him some tragic thing to overcome so, so that his character has something to, I don't know, learn or something in the movie. I've never been really convinced that his character, that it does anything for the Picard character other than kind of weakening him in the movie. Picard doesn't come off very well a lot of times in this movie. Well, when we in a couple of weeks when we get to First Contact, I think we're going to be talking about the opposite. I, I, I always felt like First Contact was kind of um, trying to correct some of the mistakes they made with Picard in this movie. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely see what you're saying. I think they went a little bit overboard. So, you I mean, you had those two opening scenes, you know, the one with Kirk and then you had, you know, Picard. And, um, you know, that's kind of been a running theme with Kirk. He kind of has his melancholy ways, you know, um, you know, you saw Scott giving him a hard time about retirement and that kind of thing. And it's almost kind of like the empty chair syndrome for Kirk. Um, you know, he even before all the distress call comes in, you know, you can kind of, you know, you get that sense from him that he's feeling 
the pull back to the chair that he misses this, that this is his life. And that that's kind of been a theme, especially in the movies with Kirk and, um, and obviously, you know, he dies going out a hero. So I was, and then you go back, then you go to Picard and it's almost, it takes longer to get there, but it's almost like they're trying to set up a parallel to him because, you know, obviously Picard, he loses his nephew and there's this family lineage thing, which I, I don't think, I'm with you. I don't think plays very well, but I think that's what they were trying to do is kind of set these two guys up, these two captains that are kind of in the same situation, you know, the, um, you know, towards the end of their careers, they're, they're, they're feeling the, the pinch of an empty house and that kind of thing. Um, but I don't know if it worked out that well. You have any thoughts on the Robert Rene, uh, burning <laughs> Steve? Yeah. I mean, I, I get what you're saying. It does seem kind of extreme or, or whatever. I mean, you know, sometimes if sometimes when they when 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 it's written in a way just to set up certain um, you know certain beats or whatever, it feels a bit artificial. And you know, you have that, so you can have the whole um, so you can have the ending with appreciating the time you have with something. So you can have the scenes where you know um, Soren is talking about the time and the fire and all that, and it gets a little cliched or a little bit on the nose or goofy or something, you know, oh, and, was like, yeah. And, and yeah, and it's such an extreme thing too. you know, the notion of burning to death in a fire. I mean, I, you know, it's, uh, you know, obviously losing family is losing family, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's so, yeah, I mean, it could be like, I mean, it's like Troy, could, he, he says they were burned to death in the fire and then Troy could be like, just to be clear. So they're, they're in the fire. It's burning. They're alive. They're screaming. Their skin is melting. Is that what happened? <laughs> just want to make sure I understand. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, they could, they could barely make it worse, you know, and on 24th century earth, you know, really, which is even that seems about really, there's not a way to, you know, I mean, it's. Beam them out, whatever. Nothing. There's none of the fail safes worked. Right. Yeah. But I kind of, you know, you really had to be on. You really had to know next gen to kind of understand some of the some of this movie. Um, you know, if you were just like a passing fan of, of next gen and you're just like the Star Trek movies, I could see you maybe like being kind of confused by this. Like, uh, who's his nephew? You know, because we got all this in the in the seasons. So I kind of felt like this movie more than than most. You really had to watch the show to get what was going on. Well, I don't. I I think I disagree with that, and that's part of the problem is that it's not that way. Um, how many times did we actually meet Robert and Renee? Once in, in family? Was that the only time? But it was an important episode. I mean, it, it wasn't was like- absolutely it was. But I'm saying if they had made more of a connection between them, if if that had happened on the show, if there had been more of that, then I think I would I I, I could buy this whole because I mean we've literally never heard this whole thing about his family, like history, the family would go on, the lineage is important. I, we've never heard any of that stuff before, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's, a, you know, that at that point in that scene, it kind of ruined it for me. I really like that scene until they get into the lineage part and he talks about, you know, like the family and that kind of thing. I'm like, well, the, that, that kind of, I like that scene between him and Troy up until that point where they get into the lineage stuff. Well, it's a little bit. Feels like otherwise, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't care that my brother and nephew died in a fire, except that I have this right. thing about holding up the card yeah. name or something. I don't know. Which side note? He's not freaking eighty-five years old here, right? He's, <laughs> right, he's, right, right, right. You know, he's in his fifties. Like the yeah, characters so. in his fifties. Yeah. Even today, a guy you could have a family then if you wanted, um, but definitely a few hundred. You know. Like in the distant future, when people are living older, then I would think that would be even more doable. Yeah. No, I don't know. That that always seemed a little bit like wait, 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 what? Yeah, that seemed a little. That was the forced part about it to me when they got into the lineage stuff. I mean, yeah, I mean that you know when he's talking about his his nephew not getting to, you know, have these experiences in life, you know, finding love and art and all. That's a that was a very powerful moment there. Um, you know, Patrick Stewart's, a, a, you know fantastic actor so you really feel it there and then i'm the yeah i'm like oh my god when i'm watching i'm like yeah this is really deep and then they go into the lineage it kind of, like i said that kind of took the wind out of that scene for me i'm like oh yeah why are they talking about lineage now it doesn't seem like didn't seem like it was too soon i guess would be what i would say yeah his his acting is great of course the whole movie his acting is great he sells even the lines that i'm like 
or think about them and like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense what's going on. <laughs> but he sells it. You know, he's he's great, of course. He's fantastic. Marina's really good in that scene. It's kind of her only scene where she has anything to do, sort of. Not a lot, but she gets something. Um, and she's really good, you know. It's just the two of them, and and she, she's great. Let's see. We have the stuff on the station. Is it Amagosa Station? Is that what it's called? I forget the name of the station. I believe uh, it is. I think so. It's Amagosa Star, so yeah. Makes yeah. Sense. Uh, that moment, actually... So everything that happens with Soren and he ends up back on the station and there, as everything kind of builds up and they tell Picard, Captain, there's a bird of prey to cloaking off the port bow, I think. And he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that little tiny moment, I've talked about this before. Sometimes they're just little moments that click with me for whatever reason. And sometimes movies are... My favorite thing about a, a movie can be just a moment. I think that might be my favorite thing in this movie it's just that that's that sense of mystery and wonder and what the hell is going on in this movie in a good way like i want to know you've got my freaking attention this is great that little moment where picard says what and like he and i are on the same page you know i love that tiny little bit every time every time that's my favorite moment of the movie we'll get to this later but the funniest line in the history of star trek is this is not your bedroom but my favorite moment in this movie is Picard saying what after they tell him there's a bird of prey to cloaking. That's a really great moment. Uh, what, what do we think of uh, Malcolm McDowell playing uh, Soren? I, I guess it seems like I've been asking about this in each movie because it, the villain is such a big thing in each movie that I end up having to ask about them. Uh, the, one kind of interesting thing in this movie is that it's not quite as villain-focused as some of the other ones. You know, this whole thing with the Nexus, which we'll get to that in a second, but it's not like, you know, we've got several medium-sized villains. There's not just one villain running the whole show. But what do you think of uh, of Malcolm McDowell and Soren? Um, yeah, I thought he was solid. I mean, he played it, you know, you, you felt the pain. You know, I think the scenes with Guinan, that kind of helped bring Guinan into this movie. You know, they're both, um, um, what is the species, Steve? Um, Elorian. Elorian. So it helps bring Guinan into this movie. Um you can, and you know, and that's what I was saying about understanding, you know, watch it, you know, you kind of need to watch the show more to kind of understand, you know, Guinan's past. I know they, they touch on it in this, you know, like, oh, you know, they were all killed by the Borg. Um, so you can kind of understand where he's coming from. I think at this point in the movie, you don't quite have a grasp on like what this Nexus is, you know, she, and, you know, Guinan, you know, implores Picard, you know, if you go there, you're not going to want to leave because it's just like being in total bliss. So you can kind of see where, where a man like that who lost everything um, could become obsessed with that. So I think the storyline for his character works. And um, I thought Malcolm I, I did well. I, I wouldn't go like crazy and call him, call him the best villain ever, but I think he did well in what he was asked to do in the role. I think, I think um, yeah, I mean, I think Malcolm McDowell's solid, of course, but I think that this is one of the kind of the issues with it is that, is that you know, he's... Um, it's such a it's it, it has the potential to be such a deep thing right i mean the notion of losing everything and so then you have this this magical world where you can just get lost in it and it doesn't matter anymore and and, and we can talk about how that's powerful but i don't know that the, that the film really showed how that's powerful and i think that that makes it feel and because of to me it makes it feel like he's doing something so awful in the sense that i'm just doing this thing so i can get swept up this nexus and i don't care that i'm killing just a couple hundred million people you know it's just flat out you know and so it's so extreme and yeah we can talk about conceptually why someone would be so obsessed to to get to that point but i'm not sure that it it really shows that because you do, you just kind of get the nuggets you right you get the information that he lost his, his wife and kid then what then breaks it him. yeah is seeing how quickly a, a normal rational person like Picard and Kirk, yeah. How quickly they're like, oh, well, this is all fake, and I think I'm going to make the choice to not stick around, right? Despite the fact that I'm loving fast. it, yeah, yeah. So they do that so fast, you're like, okay, so a normal, another normal person like Soren, who's obviously an intelligent guy, he's freaking coming up with a weapon that could destroy a star. He's going to be okay with killing two hundred some odd million people so that he can get back to the Nexus. 
you know, this nexus would need to be way more powerful <laughs> mm-hmm. to do that. You would think. I mean, it doesn't really. You know, he's not. I mean, that, that he, he would be the the greatest mass murderer ever anywhere. Well, and that's I mean, where we nuts. get. Well, that's where we get into the holes of this movie. You know, the nexus. It's like, well, really, how hard would it be to get in into this thing? You know, they make it like this impossible rift thing to get into that they can't figure anything out to get in there and yet you know him and Picard are kind of just all they have to do is be swept through it um Kirk you just have to be in it that you can be in it in space or on a planet it doesn't matter so it just it was kind of counterintuitive to me it's like well this thing's so hard to they're making this thing seem so hard to get into but yet it's really not um well the other thing is honestly I've never really understood the Nexus thing. I'm not just like practically, I've never really gotten it. There's, there's the scene with Guinan in her quarters, which, by the way, does she light all those candles herself? That's impressive. There's a scene with Guinan where she kind of explains it. And I'm like, in my notes, I wrote, Nexus explained. Okay, period. <laughs> I mean, I never really, got, I don't even understand. Like, is it just a finite left to right? Like the, you can see when you're looking at the ribbon, you're like, oh, there's the left side, there's the right side. Or is it a never ending kind of ribbon? But then if it doesn't move, and if it does move, it's not moving like straight with the line, it's moving like you turn the line on its side. I mean, I just, because if you look at the, think about the stellar cartography thing, it shows kind of where it's going. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't understand how the Nexus works just from a practical standpoint. I don't really get it. So I don't even get to the point where I'm like, why is it so hard to get into it physically? Because I don't understand how it works in the first place physically, how it exists in the universe at all. Well, and as we've as we've said several times, when we as when we start getting into this, it means we have problems. I mean, you know, it's like if 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 it was this was a gr- great story, we wouldn't be talking about this. It does. Yeah. That's the thing. We just get lost in the other stuff, and it wouldn't make any difference, you know. So it's that that's what it comes down to. It's like I'm not saying that 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 this doesn't have a whole lot of holes in it um, any more, any less holes than something that's a great story and, and some kind of sci-fi, you know, concept. But I think when we get bogged down in this, it means that we have trouble with other things with the story. So, so, so another thing, do you ever actually leave it? I mean, you know, because Guinan is actually still there when Picard goes, I'm just the, of what was here, but yet she knows him. So, when she didn't know him, you know, the 80 years before when she went in there. So do you ever actually leave the Nexus? So were they writing this with the intent of leaving a hole for future movies? You know, okay, we could bring back Kirk or Picard whenever we want because they're still t- stuck in this Nexus. I think they're just making any excuse so they could have the conversation with Guinan and the Nexus, you know, but it is goofy how they Yeah, because, I mean, it. obviously, obviously you never, you can't, you, you never leave either. Even when you leave, you're still there. So it's, it's a, it's makes no wasn't didn't very well thought out. It's like the you know the venomous spider to make Spider Man. Let's just make something up. The story and and like script issues, they always felt like it was just a matter of they ran out of time. Like they got to a certain point, it was like they've got a release date. We've got to shoot on this date a couple weeks after the show wraps. It's got to be. We gotta. We need to start pre-production uh ilm's got to start working on the effects we we need the the we need the story we need the script yeah and, and the second half of the movie felt rushed yeah does it was it just me or did the second half of the movie kind of feel rushed like the whole and through the movie kind of when they got in the i think it moves at a decent decently brisk pace kind of until he gets into the nexus until picard gets into the nexus and then i feel like the movie kind of slows almost stops a little bit but then the, you watch the movie a second time and all that stuff that was moving at a brisk pace you're like oh it was moving at a brisk pace and that's the reason i wasn't noticing some of these story problems and then you know star trek nuts like us that watch the movie over and over it just gets harder and harder to make sense of it all but you know yeah it's stuff like cool moments and great acting and gorgeous colors and you know scope and stuff like that that makes the movie so watchable for us but you know if this was the story in a in an episode we'd be like well, this doesn't make any sense so i wanted to ask you guys because i had this down in my notes i'm like is the funniest scenes in the movie were with, with data for me you know and brent spiner's great it's great to see data but i after watching this watching it through it i'm like kind of i kind of felt like it didn't fit in the movie with what, you know, it's like, you know, Data kind of had this side story going on that didn't really fit that well. And don't get me wrong, I love the scene in the stellar cartography with him, Picard, um, you know, 
Yeah, it's probably the early scenes. The scenes, you know, when he pushes the movie. You know, when he pushes Beverly in off the off the boat, it's I I laugh out loud loud every time because it's that it's funny, but it's not supposed to be funny. But yet, it's really funny. I I laugh out loud every time. But yeah, watching it through, I'm like, kind of, what was the point of of his storyline in the movie? Because I don't seem it kind of felt like it took away from what they were trying to do. I think I talked mentioned this before, but you know, Star Trek Four was so successful. Um, It was the most successful. Star Trek feature until JJ's first movie. And I always felt like what the studio took away from that was humor gets non-Star Trek people into the theater and we make more money. So we want more jokes. We want more jokes. We want more jokes. And the beauty about Star Trek 4 was that it was just this fish out of water thing. It's almost like they didn't even have to tell jokes. Just putting them there in San Francisco in the 80s, you know, made for funny situations. It wasn't like they were actively telling jokes in the same kind of way. So I do bristle a little bit. Something like like that data storyline where it feels like they just want to get some jokes in there. Now, they pull it off because in the long by the by the end here, they actually do some stuff with that, like you were getting at. By the time we get the stellar cartography scene, it's like, oh, they're doing something dramatic, they're giving his character an arc in this movie because of the emotion chip. And I no longer wish I had these emotions. And that's still a cartography scene. I remember the very first time I ever saw the movie, it was probably my favorite scene in the movie. I think it probably still is just overall. Although it is the scene where I'm like, it's it's about the last point in the movie where I'm with it story-wise. Because <laughs> it's not long after this is where it starts to break down for me. But I do, I do really like that scene. You know, it was cool to be sitting there in the theater and to get this whole new set on the on the Enterprise, and a set that they could not have done on the show. Really, yeah, really cool, really cool. But yeah, it's not long after that where it starts to kind of break down for me. And if it's funny enough, then I like Mr. Tricorder saying "Make it so" makes me laugh or at least chuckle. You know, even though I'm in in that scene, I'm like, this is this is too many jokes, guys. But then he makes me laugh with Mr. Tricorder. <laughs> of the drink scene where he's like, "Oh, this is." I hate it. Revolting. More, <laughs> please. Chance. But of course, I have to disagree with you, Adam. I've said this before on a podcast. I still believe it. Picard's line, Patrick Stewart's delivery of the line, this is not your bedroom, is the funniest line in the history of Star Trek. It is so much funnier than any other line in the history of Star Trek that I just don't think they'll ever top it. Oh, I, don't, I, I don't think it can be topped. What are you disagreeing with me about? I didn't, I didn't. Well, you said the, the data stuff was the funniest. I think the funniest thing in the movie is... This is not your bedroom. Okay, gotcha. Well, I don't think you count this as a conscious joke, but I, d- I did put in my notes, like, nearly 30 years after the original series, we still have Who's That Guy? Yep, yep. All the stuff at the end. It's like, that person doesn't even look like Bill Shatner, <laughs> and that guy doesn't even look like Patrick Stewart. At least Malcolm McDowell, like, I haven't seen him enough to be so conscious of it but like oh my god those people don't even they don't look anything like them so every time it would catch the wide shot of the bridge with picard reaching down to try and help kirk it was like who's that guy who's that guy i don't know <laughs> it's really like this is your big budget feature and it's it's kind of worse than some of the tv episodes guys this is not good i i had a problem with the end i had a problem with um, um picard getting getting his butt kicked twice I mean, basically handed to him, you know, the, the first time through, and then the second time he gets the elbow and he gets knocked down. He didn't. He didn't come off as a very good fighter in this um in this film. Like I said, I'm. I think that uh, first contact is a course correction with Picard. We're going to be talking about that in two weeks. But everything they do wrong with the character in this movie, they make him a man of action in first contact. You know, yep. and it works a lot better for a feature. Maybe that. Maybe this is more like what the character was on the show, and that worked better for a show. But for a feature, yeah, yeah, first context is going to cor- cor- correct a lot of that stuff for me. The bits actually in the Nexus again. The Nexus never entirely makes sense to me. I, I never really understood. Like, so Picard's happy place is a family, and then that makes me think again: Is he really too old to have a family? I don't understand that. I don't understand how like that's his happy place yet he doesn't make any choices in life to go there. I don't, I mean, it just seems weird. Same thing with Kirk, like his happy place is correcting a regret. You know, it's not like, I don't know. Like I've heard Mark Altman, he says, 
what he hates about this movie is that it's this made-up new person, Antonia, and it should have been um, uh, Joan Collins' character, uh, Edith Keeler. It should have been Edith Keeler up there. You know, that he should have had this entire, Kirk should have had this entire um, fantasy of getting to be with Edith Keeler. Um, I don't know if they ever seriously considered that. I'm sure there would be legal ramifications. Maybe have to pay Harlan Ellison to give him a check or something. But I don't, I think like I'm not quite with the movie enough to care that about these, those kinds of, of little things. Cause I, I don't get to that point in my complaints. I, I'm just like the Nexus in general doesn't really entirely. Well, it goes back to the point you were making a little while ago, Brian. I mean, it didn't take Kirk long to go like, well, this isn't real. And then he's like telling Picard, don't ever leave the captain's chair, you know, don't ever let him, you know, so you, that's, that's his real love. Um, at the end of the day is sitting in that chair and making a difference. What do you guys think of the stuff in the Nexus? Oh, just the, you know, Picard and his, his family house. And Have we ever seen Christmas depicted in Trek before? In the original series, there was some reference to it, I think, but I don't think it was very deep or lengthy. I don't recall the nature of it, but... Um, but uh, the actual Nexus stuff, you guys are indifferent about? Um, yeah, but like I said, what I was saying, you know, when I feel like it's, the end was rushed, I, like I said, I, I kind of think we're not far off, you and I, Brian, because it's like, you're not really sure what's going on. They don't really explain it very well. And that's, I think that's kind of why I feel rushed. You know, you know, you're, you're, you were here and I love the music and I love the look. <laughs> like we, we, you made this point earlier. It's like, it looks really cool and it sounds cool. And, um, you know, you got the camera spinning around Picard, you know, waking up in this house. And, um, like I said, the music in the background gives you this emotional feel. Then all of a sudden you get Guyton in there and it's like, well, what's Guyton doing there? And then she explains it, but you still don't understand. And then, it, then you're with Kirk. And like you said, he's going through his regret. And then they come, they both come out of it pretty quick and they leave the next. And that's the whole thing. And to me, it's like, if you can leave at any point in time, why don't you just go back to um, right when you got to that Amicorcosa space station and just, you know, stop in there. Or in Picard's case, why don't you go back even further and save your your brother and nephew? So those are the things that were going through my head. You can leave and go to any point in time, and yet he chooses, let me go back to the point where I'm stuck under the rock. <laughs> Again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little, yeah, the rules are a little too broad, and they don't execute their choices yeah, I mean, very well. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, it just... It, it, that's what I mean by it just kind of feels feels rushed. Like, okay, we got to get through this ending. What's the quickest way we can do it? The other thing I wanted to point out is I, I do like the uh, special effects work, the ILM model stuff, crashing the D on the planet. Story things aside, I, I thought some of that stuff was, was neat and unlike anything we'd seen before. So that was interesting. Originally, Soren shoots Kirk in the back. I feel like we've seen that footage. Was that maybe included on a disc or something? I feel like I've seen it more than just read about it. Um, but anyway, uh, it was tested and people thought that was a terrible way to kill Kirk. So they very quickly went back out to the desert and shot a different ending. I remember one of Shatner's books, do not remember which one, maybe it was the movie Memories, but I remember he, the, the chat, the, there's a chapter like on Generations and you can tell he's a little sad that he's had to kill the character off or something, you know. But I remember there's like a last minute edition, like we're we're going to press, but I just got a call that they want me to come back out to the desert to shoot to shoot a different I ending. That. I read that maybe, too. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, you know. And the implication was maybe they've changed their mind and they're not going to kill Kirk. But he didn't. But it's like he didn't know. <laughs> but I remember reading that after <laughs> the movie. It's like, oh no, they're they're still killing you, bro. <laughs> You're just going to kill you. They just killing you a different way but look i think it would be very hard to have a satisfactory way to kill this beloved character i don't ever remember it really bothering me that much that they kill kirk in this movie no it's not the best way to kill him but is there any way they could kill him where i'm like great i'm glad they killed him i mean no i mean no so if it's gonna happen again this movie is a next-gen movie. It feels like a next-gen movie. Even the scenes on the B in Kirk's time period still feels like a next-gen movie with a flashback. And in that sense, it's okay that that Kirk uh, dies in that sequence. Um, and it's, a, it's in character. I never had any realistic 
expectation that they were ever coming back to him or something. So I don't know. It just never. But it's in character for Kirk. I mean, he kind of, I mean, he kind of dies twice in this movie doing what Kirk does, kind of saving the day. So how else could you kind of do it? Don't get me wrong. I was really sad about it. You know, you don't want to see, you know, at that point in time, you know, 1994, um, you know, grown up with Captain Kirk. And so, yeah, I mean, you don't want to see him die, but I think after all these years looking at it, I'm, I wasn't like, oh my God, this, how could they do it this way? I wasn't unsatisfied. I wasn't like, oh, this, this doesn't work. I, I felt like it worked um, because it was in character and, you know, Shatner and um, Stewart, they, they played that scene. That's, it's a, it's a touching scene there um, at the bottom of the ravine, you know, um, you know, did we went? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it feels good and it doesn't, it doesn't feel wrong. It doesn't feel wrong to me. And 94, I was, I think I was more emotional because I didn't want to see Kirk gone. I wanted to see more Kirk stories and that kind of thing. And so, but you know, passage of time, I'm, I'm good with it. Yeah. I, I, I had never had any problem with it really. Spoken like a next gen first fan. <laughs> <laughs> but I I, I I will say that it, it I think it affected me more now than it did watching it any other time because of, again it's been a long time since I've seen this movie and when and when I watched it in the most concentrated number of times w- was when I was primarily a next gen fan not a fan of the whole franchise as much you know so and have you ever watched it this way like you know you know we obviously started with the first and you know we're on. No, I don't. I don't know that I ever watched them all in sequence like this. At least not continuing on into this era. You know, watching them. It's close yeah. together. So yeah, kind of. I think maybe it had a little bit more of an emotional impact because we went on this. You know, we've all been on this ride dozens and dozens of times. But I, at least for me, I've never watched them in sequence this close together, back to back to back. So it kind of gives you a little bit more of a an emotional feel for it. That reminds me, Steve. You got a spousal report? <laughs> um. Yeah, I think she she liked it fine because she also watched some Next Gen uh, growing up, and so these are a bit more accessible in that way, uh, the Next Gen movies. Um, but I think because she didn't see it originally and didn't have that kind of vibe that we talked about where it was in the heart of the the peak of the Trek franchise and how big I was into it, she didn't have that kind of uh, baggage. She recognized more how there's a lot of clunky stuff in it you know what i mean um at least it being more obvious on the surface like oh yeah it's a little silly yeah you know what are they doing there and that kind of stuff you know what is this movie about i kind of think it's in the title it's generations it's they try to go off the theme that things nothing kind of lasts forever things things come to an end once when one story ends another story picks up and it's i think they accomplished what they wanted to accomplish with this film um, I liked. I still. I. I actually do really like this film. I enjoy watching it. Um, Steve, I know I've been a little bit critical of it, but I. I really do kind of enjoy watching this film. Um, and I think they accomplished what they needed to with this film. It's just passing the baton from you know the original cast to the new cast on the big screen. Um, you know, when we get into first contact and the the films beyond, I'll I'll get into my critique on how they they handled the next generation. Um, crew on the big screen but um i think they did what they needed to do in this film and that's that's what it was the the general theme is yeah things go on things end but things still kind of go on i too like it i mentioned that at the top and i I enjoy watching it but i think i i I think the theme what it's about i i I agree with adam on that i i think that the i think the issue is that like so often when things that are that are not really bad but they're not really great either is that they have a theme there's something they're doing and they and they um accomplish it to an extent but there's also missed opportunity missed opportunities you know i mean there's there's things there, there's time spent in the movie. It's not like this is a really long film or something, but there's time spent in the movie that could have been better spent doing other things. You know, there's a lot of stuff in the Nexus that just feels like, you know, just stuffing or whatever that it feels like it's slow and tiresome and they could have used that time or, and some of the other parts in the film to, to, to drive home this point of, you know, the passage of time and things don't come again. So appreciate what you got and choices in life and stuff like that too. I mean, we get some of that, but it, it could have been better, you know? I agree too. Like I, I I would have a hard time arguing that this is a really good movie, but I enjoy watching it. And, um, I'm, I'm sure I always will. 
uh, as opposed, it is interesting though, as opposed to say all good things, which I I would I think we'd all agree is 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 more I don't know objectively great, and I would definitely argue that it's really really good, and it's interesting you know that better storytelling. Ron Moore and Brandon Braga wrote both around the same time, uh, and all good things turned out to be much better than generations. Um, but they did have, you know, a literal list of things that had to be in this movie. And I enjoy first, first context so much. And that's also those two that I feel like they make up for it up for generation. They make up for generations with first contact, which we'll be talking about in a couple of weeks. So yeah, I enjoy it. I do. Let's do six degrees for generations. Steve, you going first or second? I'll go first. Tim Russ appears as a bridge officer on the B. He previously appeared in the next-gen episode, Starship Mine. Was that season three or season six? Uh, six. Yes. Adam, Malcolm McDowell, played Soren, is a real-life uncle to what DS9 regular? DS9 regular? Uh, Fudger nuts. I don't know. Steve, do you know, do you know this one? Um, is it Alexander Sadig? Yes, sir. Uh, Steve, you still enjoying Lower Decks? Yeah, I mean, this, the episode, I think, I think this might be the best one, the one that just aired, you know, there's kind of ups and downs, but I, I really enjoyed this past week's. Hmm. Cool. We're recording this episode on the 54th anniversary mm-hmm. of Star Trek. We'll be posting it in a couple of days, but today they had their made-up Star Trek day thing. Now... I remember in years past, they've tried to make First Contact Day a thing, which is an in-universe day. Uh, that didn't. That doesn't seem to really work. They've definitely tried to make Picard Day a thing, another in-universe date. Never seemed to work. This is the first time. They, they're talking about it like they've done this before. I don't remember them doing this before. No. It's Star Trek Day, right? They've never done that before. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> September 8th, which is the day they should be celebrating, right? I used to celebrate that. I don't know if you remember, Steve, but mm-hmm. I mean, and Adam, yeah, you both went to my Star yeah, Trek yeah. birthday parties, yeah. um, <laughs> which might be the geekiest, nerdiest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> but uh, I always thought they should make a bigger deal out of it and was always surprised they didn't. So I'm glad they did it this year. And this is kind of cool. They did, um, they put like a, I think it was Star Trek.com slash day or star trek day i forget it was they had a they had a website url where they for 24 hours they're doing like uh just like a a marathon of of miscellaneous episodes and then there's some interviews in there i I hooked a laptop up to my you know just up to the tv and full screened that web page and just had it on all day even when i was working or doing other stuff and I had to mute it occasionally, find a phone call or whatever, but it was just nice having it in the background. And I realized it was like, <laughs> of course, I own all of these episodes and I could just put them on any time. But you know, it, it reminded me of like the 90s of, you know, mm-hmm. watching it on TV and it being fun and not knowing sure. what the next episode was going to be in this little marathon thing. And I, and I really enjoyed that. I'm like, yeah, I would, I would do this more often if they did this. And it also made me think, it'd be cool if something like CBS All Access, if they had like a a subset streaming channel where they just put up the episodes, Star Trek stuff, where they just put up Star Trek stuff. And if you could just randomize it and just make it <laughs> right. know, just start playing stuff, that would be cool. I would do that. I really would. Mm-hmm. If there was an app on my, you know, like a Star Trek app on my Apple TV that just required your same CBS All Access login, but all, all the only content on it was Star Trek and you could just play it randomized and keep it going, that would be neat. Well, maybe we'll get that. I think um, Netflix just started a shuffle. There's a shuffle option now that Netflix has to start it. So something like that. Yeah, I think I saw that. But what it, it, does it just randomly select something out of your queue? Or does it randomly select just I have no idea. something I haven't, you think you might be interested in? I, I couldn't tell you for sure. I just I just kind of heard it on a blip that, yeah, there's a, you know, kind of a yeah. – I've, I've always wanted that with the, um, Apple TV because you know I own several things, so I was always thought it would be fun. You know, just hit shuffle, kind of like what you do with your music. Just hit shuffle, and then just a random movie comes up that you own, and oh, okay, I'll watch this. Or you know, you just hit yeah. Shuffle. So something like that, but that would limit itself to Star Trek content. Sure, sure, definitely. That would be neat. I, I would, yeah. I would actually, I think I would actually do that. That would yeah. be fun in the background. You know, 
I've never been one of those people that just leaves, I don't know, CNN on or something. But if I could just leave Star Trek on in the background, I think I might, I might do that. Well, I did read with the Netflix, it's like, cause they, you know, they, on their studies they've, and I'm guilty of this, you know, a lot of people just, they spend like 20 or 30 minutes just looking around on Netflix. Looking and they don't watch anything. And yeah, you know, you've, I've wasted many. Well, other- but the great thing about what, what would be so nice about this Star Trek idea would be they're all episodes I've seen and everything I've seen. So it would be okay for it to be on in the background as opposed to if it randomly put up something I've never seen, then, you know, then I'm going to be. I'm not going to actively sit there and watch a 24-hour marathon, but if I could just have it on sure. and stuff I've already seen, that that would be neat. So anyway, it was fun. It was fun to actually participate in their Star Trek Day thing, and I watched the new Discovery Season 3 trailer and a couple of a little bit a couple of the interviews, and it was fun, you know? And they, they put some... There were some short treks in there. There were full episodes. Yeah, it was neat. So, yeah, happy 54th uh, birthday, Star Trek. Yay! Let's see. We are going to be back in two weeks to talk about First Contact. And until then, you can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. Our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash trekcompanion. We are very grateful that you've spent an hour with us. And uh, we hope you'll be back in two weeks to listen to us. Yep, about first contact. So thanks again, and until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See you. I passed it.